I am thrilled to announce that An Actor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym, and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at Kind Farms Inc. All one word. That's K I N D P H A R M S I N C. And their website is kindfarmsinc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is Ryan10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Today, my guest is one of my best friends and one of the nicest and most talented musicians I know, Mikey Wagner. You know Mikey from bands like Jack's Mannequin, Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness, and Bike Lock. However, he's got a lot of awesome solo projects coming up. I am so blown away by his music that we're going to premiere one of his songs at the end of the episode. Here's the episode. Mikey Wagner, how you doing? Doing great. It's a pleasure to have you on, man. I've known you for, God, about 10 years now. Yeah, no longer. That. It was like 2009 when I met you. Oh, man. It's been a while. Yeah. yeah. Well, long story short, I uh, met you through Andrew McMahon. She's your boss. <laughs> <laughs> boss friend. Yeah, boss friend. But then you became someone very near and dear to my heart, one of my closest friends. And you're a musician. And you're an artist. And you're a programmer. And you're a wonderful man. But before we dig into the work, I'd like to start at the beginning. Where You grew up here in Los Angeles, right? Yeah, born and raised. What was that like? Um, it was interesting because um, my dad works in the film industry. So, you know, I was in places that I probably shouldn't have been as a child. That was like a producer's nightmare. Yeah. But um, it was kind of cool for me. Nice. Was your mom an artist as well? or No, my mom is a nurse. And uh, so she was always working kind of hard. And so I kind of hung out with my dad just because it seemed like the fun thing to do, go to the circus and kind of see how it all works out. Wow. And so what was it like growing up in LA? Did you have an idea of the entertainment industry epicenter that you were around or was... Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something that I was aware of just seeing how it all operated. It seemed somewhat like normal to me just because I was there, but there's still like the allure of the movie industry and you know, I, I like going to movies a lot with my dad, so like I, I understood what it was, but I didn't know what everybody else's life was like necessarily. <laughs> so. Yeah. None of us do. And then how did you get into playing music? Like was your dad kind of curating albums for you as you grew up? No, actually well so I was for a long time thinking about 
being in the film industry and being an actor and all that. And and I, I dabbled a bit in the camera department because that's where my dad worked and it was just easy to do. And I enjoyed it. It's fun, you know, but it's like fast paced and long hours and I was good at it, but I didn't really want to pursue something where I was considered, I don't want to say nepotistic, yeah. but that it felt like I wasn't doing it. I was on the heels of somebody else's success. I don't remember the exact moment. I've always been interested in music and I played like, you know, violin when I was a kid and trumpet and then drums in the in the marching band and everything. So it just kind of like was a logical progression that I just started playing in bands. Um, but I just decided to go with one circus instead of the other. Can you remember in your childhood, like the first record that you remember listening to? Um, I really, I remember a Sgt. Pepper's tape that I got and I, I know my mom was a big influence for me on music. She loved music, like classic rock and all that. Like she, you know, even the first time I heard Dookie was from my mom. Like she was always like putting cool music in my ears. So my dad liked show tunes and like, you know, he liked music. He liked movies. Yeah. So like he would just listen to music like that. Like, like the scores music. or like, yeah. no way. Wow. That's amazing. And so then at what point did you kind of, I don't want to say, uh, decided to veer a different path and not do the acting thing. Like, how did that come together? Um, well, it just, I was very interested in dropping out. I didn't want to be in a, in this society, so to speak. So I kind of like found every opportunity to like, you know, pull myself out of it. So I was like reading a lot and like really interested in like, you know, Kurt Vonnegut and uh, Ken Kesey and all these kind of avant-garde thinkers. And uh, so I was going how, how did you get into them? Talk to me about that. You can't just drop names like that and be like... <laughs> uh, I mean, just like I was always reading. Even like from like in third grade when Jurassic Park came out, you know, Michael Crichton was like huge then. So I read all of his books just yeah. because like that's just kind of the person I am. I just read every book by a person that I was into. So... Uh, always, once I finished up like that, I was interested in the classics and, you know, read through all those. And so that's, yeah. That's amazing. And then at what point did you start playing music? Uh, so like I said, I was in band, uh, started playing in like the jazz band and, um, my brother played trumpet and to, to jump back a little bit, when I was originally supposed to be in like band, he wanted, I wanted to play saxophone because I thought that was cool. And they didn't have any saxophones at the rental place. So they're like, my brother said, if you play trumpet, I'll, I'll teach you all the scales and you'll be cool. Like when you come into first class. And I was like, oh, okay, that seems reasonable. And so I just played trumpet from there. And then, you know, marching band, the drummers were cooler. So I was like, oh, I'll play with the drummers. So like, and then the drummers were like, you know, all just, we hung out in the back of the bus and we're just high all the time. Just, <laughs> so, yeah. so you were eight years old and smoking. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's like high school. Yeah. Yeah. But, That's amazing. You know, talk to me about being in that kind of academic environment. It sounds like that was enriching for you. You, you enjoyed a classroom. No, no, I hated it. I was, yeah. So I was like, I was pissed off at my teachers for always not letting me read my books in class. I was like in English class and they're trying to have me read like the Red Badge of Courage. I'm like, this is Ken Kesey. I'm not reading your garbage. And so they, I get into fights with them all the time and they understood where I was at, but yeah. they wanted to like push me to be something else. So it, it doesn't sound like it was like in an intentional anti-establishment sort of way. It was more like that was what you were interested in. Yeah. And yeah. they didn't like that. So I kind of found my own path and uh, got frustrated with them. So I ended up graduating early, even though I was late. 
So I just didn't care about school at all. So and, and, and talk to me about those band teachers, like what those people that helped you, you know, play. Do you look at them as your early artistic fathers, mothers, so to speak? Was there was there one figure, you know, the, for example, to to not deviate, but I think it's important that the person you play in a band, you play bass, and the person that used to play in the band was my guitar teacher, yeah. and. It, he wanted to pursue other things and a myriad of other, you know, reasons and he left the band and you filled and that was kind of the guy for me that like, even though I'm an actor now, he was kind of the one that was like, you should be doing this. Was there someone like that in your life that... Yeah, for sure. So, my friend Chris, Chris Reeder, uh, he was the what, drummer in the drumline, super focused, brilliant guy, but he's also like, you know, we're just kind of, for lack of a better word, we just like to listen to music and smoke weed. So, like, we, we got along in a lot of ways, but he was also, like, really interested in bass, and he turned me on to, like, James Jamerson and all, of, like, these real figurehead bass players that I had no idea about. So, it wasn't, like, a competition, but he would turn me on to something, and I'd be like, oh, shit, I gotta learn about this. Like, this is cool. So, he kind of, like, showed me what was cool, and his dad was also super cool. So, like, wow. I'd hang out at his house all the time. And, his- and, and so, coming out of high school, could you read and write music? Like- yeah, yeah, for sure. Wow. Yeah. So, you really... And that- in that classroom sense, you really did thrive in that environment. In- yeah, for the music. That yeah. was the only class I went to. So, that <laughs> had to do well at something. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And then I'm curious because this is something I talk to actors and musicians on this podcast about. Like an actor finds their voice. A musician finds their tone or their style. Talk to me about like who was influencing you in your childhood years. Was there someone that you're like, you know – even though I'm I'm not a musician, I, I wish I was. But like Chris Cornell was such a huge influence on me. Was there someone for you that like that's that's what I want to be doing musically? Yeah, I mean the Beatles like huge influence on me. The Kinks definitely. At a certain point, I I don't. I was working at this like film processing lab overnight, like the weirdest, the graveyard shift where the you know they drop off the film and then overnight it has to be processed at the lab. Yeah. So I got to like work at this lab and it was really cool. But I just drive around listening to music and one of the lab techs, this old guy from like, he was just was like a complete wild man from the 60s, basically like Hunter S. Thompson, you remind yeah. me of. He turned me on, he gave me a tape of like Frank Zappa and the Bonzo Dogs Doodah band. And at first, the first time I heard it, I was like, this is the weirdest shit I've ever heard. But then it was the only tape I had and it was the tape that in the van I was driving, I had a tape player. So I just listened to it constantly and I became obsessed with this band. And uh, they're just basically Monty Python was modeled after this Monty, this band. It was like wow. an English comedy group, but uh, they were just making fun of everybody and it was incredible. That's amazing. And so then obviously I imagine coming out of high school, the last thing you wanted to do was go to college. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really interested. I was interested in going to like music school. Yeah, but the and I, you know, the the barrier for entry and then the potential outcome of that was just it didn't seem like the best fit for me. Just because I, you know, I could have gone to Berkeley and like was that something you considered? Yeah, for sure. And I, I it would have been fun, but at the same time, like I didn't have like a whole lot of money or opportunities to like to to invest in myself in that sense. So I just like, you know, figured out what the curriculum they were teaching and taught myself because I figured anything that they're teaching you there, you can teach yourself. And I've always been a self-motivated person. So I just, you know, 
I just taught myself how to do it all. You're just a tiny bit older than me, but like I remember in my high school years, the very program we're using to record this conversation was such a new thing that like I was like helping kids in my high school that wanted to be bands like produce their mixtapes. Like, yeah. were you doing garage band type things? Like, what was your first musical something yeah. that you produced? So my dad had this old two by uh, like this old tape machine. It was like reel to reel, like big, and it had like. Uh, four inputs and so you could re- record four tracks and basically you could bounce them to a, a track and then build up these things. So that was the first real recording experience that I have and it was really funny. It was very difficult to do because you had to like, you know, manage this tape and it was like these big reels and it was very difficult. So I wanted to find another way to do that where I could, you know, because Pro Tools had kind of just become more mainstream and I got like a free version of it where it was like eight tracks but you couldn't record anything or save anything you could record it but you couldn't save anything i got this small little like portable recording thing that i kept on the side so i bounce everything recorded in pro tools onto that and then uh would continuously build up these tracks on like this four track uh, digital recorder so it was it was a mess it was a nightmare but some of the coolest things that i feel like i did (laughs) i look back and like how did i do that yeah and being in la with like you know places like the viper room and whiskey a go-go like did, did you have a dream of playing those places or... Yeah, those are the first places I played. Did, wow. Yeah, because I mean, it's just like that realm is a pay to play. If you want to play there, you can, but you got to sell the tickets to, to, to get the room. Similar to like how comedians do the comedy store. They have to have X amount of people buy Y amount of drinks. Okay, That's the yeah. same. Is that the same thing? I imagine so, yeah. yeah. So, you know, yeah. I would just sell tickets to all my friends in high school or whatever and like... And uh, yeah, we played the Whiskey, we played the Viper, we played all the Troubadour, we played all these places that were like you know, cool places, but they all just smell like beer and piss to me. And yeah. <laughs> and at what point did the, I don't want to say the switch, but the activation happened of like, this is what I'm going to do with my life, you know, because it, as fun as music and, and acting and the arts are, it can be a really scary thing to like commit yourself to like, this is the path because there's yeah. a lot of struggle. And that's the purpose of this podcast to talk about that. Yeah. At, 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 at what moment was there a switch for you creating that, that mixtape, so to speak, like where you knew that was going to happen or did it kind of gradually just go one way? It felt gradual, but it was a matter of like, I went to community college and took all the music courses just because like I was interested in it. It wasn't so that I could get a degree. It's just because they had cool music courses. So um, I was taking like composition and arranging and uh, different like high level courses that I had to like test into because I didn't have the prerequisites for it. Yeah. Um, But coming out of that i met friends there that you know i played in bands with and you know in i learned a lot from those experiences about how to be in a band how to like record and like what to and what not to do and uh you know as as bands and friendships go they're like relationships you know you kind of like move on and yeah and so after a couple of those you know i just like met the people that you know i'm still basically friends with today and like you know record with constantly and um and just developing as artists and it was just a very gradual thing you know and, and in your peer group were there some successes where people joining cool bands or producing cool records like did- yeah for sure there's definitely like it, it seems almost strange that like how a lot of people and, and are very successful and like you know to be there when it's happening for them it's really fun to see like hearing them on the radio and like it's just kind of magical and yeah I, I really enjoy that part about I guess living in LA is that like the people that I've grown up with were like kind of growing up in, you know, 
in much like with acting, yeah. like the more you do it, the more modicum of success you get, whether or not it's like being a stardom is not important, but you're making a living, you know? So like you, you start to see people play cooler things and like be playing in cooler bands and and, and, and talk to me about the choice of staying in L.A. because, you know, it, it doesn't matter where you grow up. I think part of growing up at some point is like you reject the uh, environment you grew up in to become, you know, something else. Like, was did you always have a good relationship with L.A. and you knew you wanted to stay here? Uh, I used to hate L.A. because I grew up in Beverly Hills, which is like the most stupid place for a kid yeah. to grow up. There's just nothing for kids there. It's all, uh, you know riches and royalty and me being like kind of a slummish sort of not rich person living in a rich man's world it just felt like terrible and uninviting so i wanted to leave la as first thing i could but i never did for long periods of time where would you go i moved around a bunch when i was a kid so like i lived in because of your dad's job yeah so i've lived in all these weird places and so never felt like i was like uncultured i knew what everywhere else had to offer but like once i got out of beverly hills i realized it wasn't LA that I didn't like. It was just Beverly Hills. And so I could kind of escape that. And I, I, I try not to go there ever because it's just not a good place in general. But um, I really love LA because it's just, there's something for everybody. It's really inclusive. And I know that people come here and they feel like it's hard to make friends and it's hard to really make it. But everybody that I know is like really rooting for everybody. And yeah. it's kind of a, a magical place to just kind of be because everybody wants to be here and if you just get on board with like the vibe and kind of try to have fun with it it's it's really cool and and talk to me about these early bands you were playing in was there real solid momentum behind any of them or any of them you know because you're playing iconic la places whether you feel it or not i'm sure some a&r guy was there at some point like was there anything that caught on or had a moment well there were there was things that were happening so like this band that i was in in the inception of we were like a two singer band it was like a me and this girl and um and it was cool but it was like a big band it was kind of like this strange sort of bon Iver meets bonobo kind of thing and it was really fun but also around the same time you know andrew and well bob and, and jay so from, let's break that down so yeah. we're talking about andrew mcmahon and bobby raw anderson and jay mcmillan yeah. who were in a band called jack's mannequin but you connected to bobby and jay if i get this correct and t- i think i do through a craigslist ad right no no it's For a bike locker no so th- <laughs> it's a funny story actually so around that time I was in like five bands and it was like really exhausting and I was trying to like juggle work and you know doing all these things because like it was fun for me I was like singing in some bands I was playing bass and it was cool and so my roommate Sean uh was a recording engineer is who is now a massive producer right he's, yeah, he's yeah. A producer. yeah so but he was working at uh, Sound City and so he had worked on some of the early Jack's records. But let, let's touch on the iconic Sound City for a second because there's that documentary Sound City is like the greatest analog recording facility or was the greatest analog recording facility of all time right yeah it's it's definitely a, a, a beautiful place and um they've recorded you know like rumors and yeah. all these great records that are just like timeless uh tom petty and all that but and, um, and in closing like 2008 and dave Grohl acquired the board right acquired the board it's still there actually now i think it's owned by blake mills but they've re- renovated it made it a little different so it's, it's it's a different vibe but still has a lot of like the 
the charm. Yeah. Going back to how you met them. Yeah. So my, my roommate was a recording engineer who had worked with them. And so Bob and Jay, who played in a band called By Clock, was their, their, their side project from Jax. I hear they got some sweet music videos. Oh, yeah. You know about that. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan uh, directed and produced one of the videos. It was pretty amazing. Um, but so let's see. Yeah. So he asked them if, or they asked him if he knew somebody who played bass and sing. And Sean's like, yeah, I know my, my roommate is perfect. So I was like overwhelmed in so many bands. And I was like, I don't know if I can do it. It's just kind of too many bands. And, yeah. and so he's like, well, just come see us play at the, at, at the Civic Lounge. Yeah. And uh, it was Kid is Qual and then Bike Lock. Who, kind of a, who was playing for them then, do you know? Uh, just, I think John was playing. Oh, yeah, for Bike Lock. Yeah. Got it. So, yeah. So I was just like, damn, this is like a fucking solid band. Yeah. And Pete Martinez, who was like an, a rock legend engineer who worked in Sound City forever and uh, friends with uh, Bob and Sean and, and Jay pulled me aside at, that night. He's like, look, don't be stupid. You should play with these guys. This is like a real deal band. They're solid, like great musicians. And, yeah. you know, like you should just do it just for fun. Just meet up, just meet up with them. See yeah. what happens. I was like, uh, okay, cool. I, I can't argue with you, Pete, because you are <laughs> your Pete. And so um, it was like maybe like a week or two later, we met up in their rehearsal space and jammed out. It was fun. It was like, you know, we, we really hit it off. And uh, rocked out for a little while. And then basically after that, Bob went off to do the Something Corporate Reunion Tour. Got it. And um, didn't really hear from him for like a month. And then when he gets back, he's like, hey, uh, we actually need a bass player for Jax too. Would you be interested in trying out? I was like, uh, sure. Yeah, okay. Uh, you know, I wasn't expecting that. And so I think they had already run through a bunch of people like, and it wasn't working for whatever reason. And Bobby's like, yeah, hey, why don't you hit up the kid? Yeah. You know, see if it works out. And and just like, okay, fine. So they hit me up and I had like two days to learn like a bunch of songs. And, um, and I thought I was set. I like, I worked it all out. And Bobby's like, watch out for this song, Bloodshot. You know, it's, it's pretty d- tough. And on the headphones I was working on, I was like, this seems pretty simple to me. I don't know. It's all right. And then like on the drive to the audition, uh, I played it again in my car on the CD or whatever. Like, and, I heard this fucking bass line. It's like a gallop. And I didn't get that at all. I was like, oh shit. So I like, I, I sped as fast as I could and got there like maybe five minutes before my thing and like got out the bass and just like figured out how, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And I kind of worked up a, a thing to, to get it happening. And, you know, I, I explained myself when I got to the thing and they're like, oh, it's cool. So, you know, we went through and somehow I pulled it off and they seemed to like me. So, yeah, it's funny because like, for those that don't know, I was a roadie for that band for like two years and our crew, like, you know, every kid I think has at some point a dream of being a rock star, but that, those times, the older I get, you know, when you're in something, I don't think you realize how crazy it is till later. And now looking back on that, it was like you, me, Andrew, Bob, Jay, Mike, Derek, you know, I mean, Arvis, it was 10 best friends on tour on the biggest possible level, it was, it, and I, I don't say this pretentiously, I just say it was like, it, it was so cool. Yeah. You know, every night it was like camping with your best friends in the most luxurious fashion possible. Yeah, it's pretty special. And, you know, for me too, like to come into that situation, because like, I kind of missed the whole step. I didn't do the van tour thing. I, yeah. I kind of like, I've been touring in LA and like did a couple like small van tours, but then like, you know, I got pulled into a, a bus tour and like, you know, I, I missed the whole portion of what being a tour musician was. And I felt, you know, like maybe I was a little spoiled, but it was great. <laughs> and, talk, and talk to me about adapting to that environment because 
there's a hilarious story that we can touch on later. But as you know, on on the uh, the rules of the road, if you're a rookie, you know, either the roadies or the musicians can kind of punk you for a little bit. W- were they hard on you, you know, being a new guy or... Oh, no, they were, they took me under their wing. You know, I think Bobby especially kind of like showed me the ropes. Not, not like in any outward sort of way. It's just kind of like, you know, stick with me, kid. You'll be all right. You yeah. Know, like, and it was, yeah, yeah. And he took care of me. You know, like, you know, I, and, and just to give the audience an idea in those early days, I think one of the first like major festivals you did was Coachella. Yeah. And what did it feel like all of a sudden to be, on the main stage at Coachella playing to thousands and thousands of people, you as a, as a musician and you as a human, was there, was there anxiety? Was it excitement? Was it a myriad of, of everything or? I mean, it's exciting. It's really fun. I mean, that's definitely like a culmination of like what I've been working towards. And it didn't feel like weird because, you know, you, for some reason, when you're playing on stage, it's actually easier to play to larger groups of people than it is to play. If you're like on a, like one man show, like, you know, open mic, yeah. that's terrifying. I'm sure as a, like, as yeah. a comedian would know, it's like the most terrifying thing to have like one or two people staring at you and like, you can read into their eyes, but like with a sea of people, it's like, it's way easier and it's really fun. And then what, what was it like being on tour with all these musicians who had done this for years and years? Were you... Were you learning a lot? Did, did you feel overwhelmed or or was it really just kind of your Juilliard, so to speak? Yeah, I think that was definitely like my conservatory of music is like how to live on the road. And like I was just kind of trying to do the best I could. And like and I just really enjoyed like the playing of the shows and meeting people, but also like traveling around and getting to try new foods and like, you know, get out of your comfort zone a bit because I had been not sheltered, but like I had been living a completely different life before that. Yeah. And it changes you. Yeah. The I mean, traveling just by nature does. And t- and talk to me because you know I, I I've talked to writers who who write for variety sketch shows that are not the ones they are hosting. What's it like being a musician playing songs that you didn't write? Are you there essentially functionality wise to just support them? What do you what do you feel your place as a musician is? Is it just to play it as is, or to bring a style to their music that? whoever was before wasn't bringing? Uh, as a bass player, I play a supportive role. Yeah. So I've always kind of understood that I'm supposed to build the song and make it translate that to an audience and bring energy, you know, and, but not in some flashy way, you know, like a, I'm not going to like rip a guitar solo style sort of thing. It's like, I want the song to speak in a room and, and make people feel something that if I wasn't there, they wouldn't, you know, because when the bass isn't there, it suddenly doesn't feel right. But when the bass is there, you may not notice it, but it's moving you in like a very literal way. Yeah, just a matter of, like, I enjoy playing other people's songs because it's fun. And, like, you know, finding your voice within that is really, it's a unique challenge because you may not be, like, writing necessarily the part, but within what the part is, you can find your own nuances and, and flavors that, that over a tour you'll feel, you'll play differently. Because, you know, this this way works for this situation. And in this context of a set, you want to, like, add more vibe and push here and you know, and, and so, like, especially playing with a drummer like Jay, who is, like, one of the best drummers out there. Amazing. I'm yeah. trying to get him on this podcast. Oh, he'd be yeah. great. Yeah. He'd be great. Yeah. 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 And so, like, playing with him, who's just, like, such a deep pocket, and then, like, getting to work around that, you know, like, sometimes I'll just try to pull back and, like, beat behind him, or sometimes I'll push in front and, like, try to drive. And, and that was, when we first started playing, we weren't playing as much on, like, click, so it was much more... Can, can, can you break that down for those who don't understand that vernacular, what playing on click means? Yeah, so like a metronome, like yeah. a, a set grid of time. Yeah. So like uh, 
back in the day, <laughs> we used to just, you know, like basically Jay would hit out the, the time because he'd have a metronome in his ear, but then he'd turn it off after we start playing. So we'd start the song off at a given tempo. Yeah. And then from there, we would kind of like push and pull. And uh, it's really, really fun and satisfying way to play. And so now, you know, as we develop as a band and everything, we play with metronomes, we play with tracks, backing tracks and everything to kind of fill out the sound and add to these layers because there's, you know, textures that are just cool to have. Um, so it's, it's a different sort of thing to play with. And, and when you're doing these shows and, you know, I'm Jack's man again toured with Weezer, doing those kind of arenas and that kind of thing and seeing that level of success, did, did that kind of ignite? a flame in you to be like, I want to work on my music because it sounds like you were playing in a lot of bands before you got the Jack's mannequin gig. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a sort of like balance of that. Like when you're touring all the time, it's difficult to find the time for yourself. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But like, you know, like anything you care about, you have to make time. So, um, I just started devoting time to, to that, you know, like I would be producing on my computer and and I had been getting into electronic music a lot. And so, like, it kind of made sense for me to, like, in the box, so to speak, building out these dance tracks and stuff that I enjoyed. So I, I've always, like, come from, like, a rock background and, like, singer-songwriter, for lack of a better term. But now it's developed into this kind of, like, electronic side that I probably wouldn't have happened if it, without the necessity of, like, being on the road and, like, having to do something mobily. Yeah. And in, in, in your free time, were you playing around in GarageBand in these hotel rooms on days off? Or was the last thing you felt like doing playing music? No, definitely. I was like working in Ableton and just like learning how these programs work and building out synths and figuring out how to like create cool sounds and sound design and then build out tracks and, you know, listening to the things that I love and my influences and then kind of trying to translate that into a cohesive newer thing that I was feeling so and and I, I want you to answer this question as honestly as you can do you feel like because I, i'll say my own opinion first you know in in acting now that technology has progressed it's so much easier for people to make films and you know podcasts and things like that that there's a market saturation with a lot of bad content do you feel like with ableton pro tools GarageBand, all these programs now that kids could do things that you know 10 years prior you would have to spend thirty thousand dollars to do a record for do you feel like it 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 saturated the market with a lot of bad content or do you feel like there there was some really cool things that people wouldn't have otherwise been discovered i think it's a it's a balance of both because now you know anybody it's it's very liberating in a way because anybody can create something and you don't have to have the budget of a studio you can just make something on your own and if you have the time and resources to figure out how to do that and make it sound good you can do that with basically no budget and you can release music and you know whether or not it's saturated is you know it's fine but i think like there's a lot of things that rise to the top because people will recognize it but it's still a game of chance and not everybody's going to make it but there's people who are putting out really cool stuff that you know may not be recognized, but there are the people who love it and are diehards for it. And, and just being a, you know, a musician on tour, especially having a band that often, you know, is the, the headlining band, I'm curious to talk to you about all the various bands that you saw open for you and, and, and the rise and fall of like what it takes for a band to make it. Because I think, you know, there, everyone has this naive misconception of like, you start a band and you become the Rolling Stones, you know, and that doesn't really happen anymore, you know, and, and, and it, and it probably will never happen again. And I'm curious for you, like what were some common factors that you saw for bands outside of Jack's mannequin that were having success and some maybe pitfalls they fell into? I mean, 
to kind of turn it on its head, the question on its head a little bit, the things that I learned from Andrew were like how to run a business. You know, he was really smart about his decisions about how to drive this entity and make it a, a sustainable sort of enterprise. Yeah. And uh, so I learned a ton about that. And um, just because he's been doing it so long since he was a kid, it just like he, he just figure out ways that worked for him. Uh, seeing a lot of other bands and, you know, myself included being in those bands, um, I think there's a lot of pitfalls and easy to get into where you just kind of like, you're, you're, you can be lazy on certain things that are not that hard to do. You yeah. know, like one of the key things that I think has really resonated with Andrew is really engaging his audience. You know, he talks to them every night after the set. He really like creates this bond that, you know, people keep coming back for because it, he feels like the, he's listening, you know? And a lot of bands will just play the show and just kind of fuck off and then like the door is shut. And yeah. I feel like it's a missed opportunity, especially nowadays because there's so many uh, social media things that people could do to like open that dialogue. And it's it's something that everybody should take advantage of because it's so simple. Yeah. And and, and I'm curious to ask you because I feel like also similar to what I was saying earlier is like ev- everyone that joins a band wants a record deal. But that's a very old guard way of going about doing things. Do you think for... For those musicians listening out there, that that's something that will maybe cease to exist in the future, or do you still think that's like the way to go for uh, someone that wants to be a band? You start a band, you hopefully practice a lot, and you write better and better music the more you play, and you sell out ideally local venues, and then you maybe hop on a tour. What kind of words of encouragement would you have for those that are out there listening? Yeah, I think it's not so much nowadays about like getting a record deal and and building the band. It's you got to really like do it DIY. Like there's no reason why a band can't be successful without a record label doing everything themselves. They're like the band Wolfpack, for example. They've kind of done everything on their own. They mix, master, produce, distribute everything on their own. And, And they've been like very successful. And whether or not it's like comparable market share to like a pop artist yeah it doesn't really matter because they're retaining all of that value and their fans love them because they can do whatever they want yeah so if you want to be in a band that is commercially successful and needs like the push of the distribution and the marketing that only a record label could provide then yeah that's what you should pursue you should be the best band that you can be and practice all the time and devote everything you can to like showcasing and and like getting your name out, building a, a name that people will want to see a show for because then you can sell your your act. But yeah. um, that doesn't work for everybody nowadays. And, and and I'm curious to talk to you also about the, the relevance of radio because it used to be that radio is what made the star. But now we live in an era where there's so many other platforms, YouTube, Spotify, and ways to be discovered that radio could also arguably be an old guard way of launching a song in your time touring both in Jackson, Andrew McMahon in the wilderness and seeing other bands. Do you think radio is becoming, it's still as important or it's becoming less and less important? Uh, I think there is some importance to it. It still has the old guard, like this is what a pop success is. And people are still going to turn to that because until, you know, people are only listening digitally, that's that's the, the way it works. And I still listen to the radio because I like to see what, you know, what the pop charts are playing. And, you know, I, I make dance music, so I enjoy like that sort of side of pop music. You yeah, know, it's fun. It's fun for certain applications, you know, but I still enjoy like indie music and everything. So there's in L.A., there's KCRW, there's college radio and, and you know, places K-Rock. where you can find. Yeah, yeah. K-Rock, you can find music that's a little bit more alternative. Um, and then there's Spotify play- playlists where, you know, it's there's 
just you can be fed like all these cool things that you wouldn't necessarily be aware of otherwise, you know, just by feeding it like these are the things I'm interested in. Now you can learn about all these other cool acts. So it's it's a cool new world. And, and I want to talk to you about your music now. So you've gotten really serious and focused on it. Talk to me about your process. You, you said dance is is got a really big uh, influence on your style. Yeah, I think it's influenced my style a lot. Um, can you can you name some artists that might that are inspiring you? Yeah, I mean Rufus DeSoul is a huge. Oh, Rufus is great. Yeah, yeah so I love them. A tourist, a big fan of organic style dance music. You know, with deep house elements and. Um, what, you know, whether or not it always translates into that is, you know, up to the listener, but that's what I listen to a lot of. And, and when you're doing these writing sessions on your own, are are you doing everything in it yourself, like with the synths and the, you know, maybe getting the drums assembled on Pro Tools, is that all you, or do you, do you like to, because you have that analog history, do you go back and work with a drummer that can, you know, do it for you and then put that in you? I'm, yeah. I'm curious about your process. It depends on the situation. You know, in the past I've done it where, you know, uh, I have friends who play on, you know, drums or guitar and pull in certain elements that I know that they're, they're going to be the right sound for this song. Mostly what I'm doing now is kind of all for myself. And then if I have something that I know there'll be somebody I want to pull in, then I'll bring in those elements. But that's usually later in after I've already kind of defined the track. And then they'll be playing a part that's kind of already written. And that's amazing. And, and where are you at now? With Do you have a record that you're going to put out soon, I believe? Uh, well, I'm going to do singles. I'm not trying to put... I feel like nowadays the record isn't necessarily the best fit for everybody. Yeah. So I'm going to put out a series of singles that will eventually compile into a record. And, and do you have a few that are online now? Uh, I do, yeah. Where can people find that? Uh, Mikey Wagner on Spotify. Mikey Wagner on Spotify. Yeah. That's awesome. And are you still writing right, you know, not literally right now, but in your time off from the band? Is that yeah. what you spend most of your time doing? Yeah, definitely. And, and for those that are listening out there now, you know, I'm curious, what are some really pivotal lessons you learned from your time on the road mm. um try as much food as you can uh as people will know i had a <laughs> a history of eating right before stage but that changed as i grew older and i couldn't do that anymore but yeah eat as many different things as you can maybe not as much as you can but as many different things <laughs> as you can you yeah. don't want to get that tour belly <laughs> yeah so had to cut out the beer for that um yeah and just say yes to as many things as you can because you never know what's going to happen. Like some of the best nights I've had were like I may have been like in a rut or kind of like tired. And then, you know, just like somebody says, hey, we're going to do this thing. I was like, okay, cool. And and just because of that, you're led down a rabbit hole of wildness that you would never possibly imagine. So, you know, it's very easy to on tour like get into a – a, a way where you're just gonna like oh I'll just go back to the hotel and chill yeah. and sleep get and stuck in your patterns yeah and it's just like patterns aren't good for anybody yeah. and 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 what what bands are interesting you now like I'm I'm curious what what's the last rock show or not even rock show what's the last show you went to oh, that man. you paid for oh, out of your own money <laughs> oh man oh man that's a good question I don't know I I, I I get I get a lot of free shows. That's a perfect hashtag spoiled. Uh, no, it's totally spoiled. Man, it's totally spoiled. But um, yeah, I went to Splash House recently, which is incredible. A uh, bunch of dance music, wild people. Wow, and uh, definitely pretty fun. Yeah, uh, amazing. And and what's next for you, Mikey? Um, playing a show this weekend in Napa, and then a couple of shows with Atlas Genius and Andrew, and got a 
yeah, another band coming down from uh, Isle of Wight called Champs, and they're they're going to be doing some showcases. A really cool group. So, yeah. That's awesome. And what's a good way for people to stay in touch with you? Uh, my number is not. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. What's your social security yeah, number? <laughs> yeah, uh, just Mikey the Kid at uh, uh, Instagram. That's a good way to keep in touch. And and that Spotify Mikey Wags that it'll stay under that name. So Mikey people- Wagner. Yeah, for now. I think that's. Um, I've toyed with changing my name, but it's my name. So yeah, I, I, I people have said the same thing to me. Keep the name. I love yeah. it. Well, Mikey Wagner, I've got so much love for you and I'm so excited for all that's to come. But before we end, we're going to listen to one of your tracks. Which track are we going to listen to? It's called Hopes in a Jar. Hopes in a Jar? No. All right. Here it is. Hopes in a Jar by Mikey Wagner. When do we start a new beginning? We've come so far. like the show rate review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts thank you for listening 